It's very nice to be back here. Um, if you were here last week, you'll remember that we've been picking up again where we left off the end of um, the summer last year with the Exodus Express. Although we kind of never really left it because so much of the Exodus story echoes through Hebrews that we were looking at before Christmas. But this time around, we're taking more time to consider some of the major themes of the second half of Exodus, specifically seven attributes that are to characterize the people of God. And we saw over and over again through the first half of Exodus and through our time in Hebrews that God's overarching purpose was to create a people for his own possession, through whom he would reach the rest of his world. And he wants his people to have a particular flavor. That makes a lot of sense. If, um, as we saw three weeks ago, if you weren't here Um, hopefully you had a chance to catch the podcast or um, try and do so soon because it will kind of make everything fit together nicely. But what we were looking at then was um, being God's ambassadors to the world. And if that's what he wants from us, if we're joining in with his ministry of reconciliation, then it makes sense that he'd want us to reflect him in his nature. So last week we saw that God's people are to be characterized by holiness, treating people right, maintaining our relationship with God and obeying Jesus. This week we're thinking about being people of the presence of God. We're mostly going to be in Exodus 24, and we'll read that together now, but I'm going to jump around a little bit, uh, mostly in Exodus, so it might be helpful to keep your Bibles handy. If you weren't here last week, quick recap. The Israelites are camped at Sinai. Moses has just received the Book of the Covenant from God, which is what we saw last week. And now he's about to go down and relay that to the people. So hopefully it will come up on the screen next. It's 24. Then God said to Moses, Come up to the Lord, you and Aaron, Nadab and Abihu, and 70 of the elders of Israel, and worship at a distance. Moses alone shall come near the Lord, but the others shall not come near, and the people shall not come up with him. Moses came and told the people all the words of the Lord and all the ordinances, And all the people answered with one voice and said, All the words that the Lord has spoken we will do. And Moses wrote down all the words of the Lord. He rose early in the morning and built an altar at the foot of the mountain and set up twelve pillars corresponding to the twelve tribes of Israel. He sent young men of the people of Israel who offered burnt offerings and sacrificed oxen as offerings of well-being to the Lord. Moses took half of the blood and put it in basins And half of the blood he dashed against the altar. Then he took the book of the covenant and read it in the hearing of the people. And they said, all that the Lord has spoken we will do and we will be obedient. Moses took the blood and dashed it on the people and said, see the blood of the covenant that the Lord has made with you in accordance with all these words. Then Moses and Aaron, Nadab and Abihu and 70 of the elders of Israel went up and they saw the God of Israel. Under his feet there was something like a pavement of sapphire stone like the very heaven for clearness. God did not lay his hand on the chief men of the people of Israel. Also they beheld God and they ate and drank. The Lord said to Moses, Come up to me on the mountain and wait there, and I will give you the tablets of stone with the law and the commandment, which I have written for their instruction. So Moses set out with his assistant Joshua, and he went up into the mountain of God. To the elders he he said, Wait for us until we come to you again. For Aaron and her are with you. Whoever has a dispute may go to them. Then Moses went up the mountain, and the cloud covered the mountain. The glory of the Lord settled on Mount Sinai, and the cloud covered it for six days. 
And on the seventh day, he called to Moses out of the clouds. Now the appearance of the glory of the Lord was like a devouring fire on top of the mountain in the sight of the people of Israel. Moses entered the cloud and went up on the mountain. And he was on the mountain for 40 days and 40 nights. Okay, what's going on here? The first half of this chapter, the first eight verses, are a really important ceremony for the Israelite people. What happens here is a confirmation of the covenant that God has made with them. We see at the start of the chapter that only Moses is to come near into the presence of God. Seventy elders are to worship from afar, but the rest of the people aren't to come up at all. And then Moses reads the book of the covenants of the people and their offerings and sacrifices, and this blood ceremony takes place. And there's quite a bit of debate um, about what's actually going on here with the blood. Some people say that it's kind of like a blood brothers pact. There's blood thrown on the altar that represents God and also on the people, and there's a union created by them, between them by the common blood. Other people connect the blood to the idea of purity, that people are being sanctified and consecrated to God. And maybe it's a bit of both. But the main thing is that the covenant between God and the people is now confirmed and sealed. They're in this covenant relationship with him. And then Moses and the elders go up the mountain and they actually get to see God. Or I guess they see the pavement under his feet. And they eat and drink. And then Moses goes further up and God comes down and gives him instructions about the tabernacle. So what can we say about being people of God's presence from this passage? To start with, I think that it's important to point out that it happens at God's initiative. He says to Moses over and over again, come up, come up the mountain into my presence. And if we zoom out briefly to the bigger Bible narrative, we'll see that that's been God's desire right from the beginning. Right back at the start of Genesis, we see how he walked in the garden with Adam and Eve, and he was with them, present. And when they rebelled against him, even though they had to leave the garden, they were never completely expelled from the presence of God. And from that point on, he has been in passionate pursuit of renewed relationship with humanity. He's engaged in the ministry of reconciliation. Second Corinthians five eighteen to 19 All this is from God, who has reconciled us to himself through Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting the message of reconciliation to us. It's important to keep reminding ourselves, as Toby said a few weeks ago, that all this is from God. It's his initiative, his desire for a relationship with us. Later on in Exodus 29, God explains to Moses that that's been his intention all along. Verses 45 and 46. I will dwell among the Israelites, and I will be their God. And they shall know that I am the Lord their God, who brought them out of the land of Egypt, so that I might dwell among them. I am the Lord their God. The purpose of Israel's redemption from slavery in Egypt is not just that they be set free to serve and worship God, though that is an important aspect of it. God doesn't just want servants and worshippers. Above all, he desires relationships. He wants to be with his people and them to be with him. That's the purpose of redemption. And that's the purpose of the sacrifices and the covenant ceremony that we saw at the start of chapter 24. Whatever is going on with the blood, the purpose of that ceremony is to seal the relationship 
between God and his people so that he can be with them and they with him. And then the 40 days and 40 nights that Moses spends in the cloud on the mountain. That's what they're all about. One of the first things God says to him in chapter 25, verse 8. Have them make me a sanctuary. Why? So that I may dwell among them. God's heart is to be present with his people. I think that's kind of extraordinary. But what does it mean for us? What does it mean to be people of God's presence? There are five things that I want us to think about briefly for the rest of our time this morning. It means seeing God. It means fellowship with God and with each other. It means holiness. It means going back down the mountain. And it means recognizing our continual need for God's presence with us. First of all, seeing God. In verses 9 and 11, we read, Moses and Aaron and Nadab and Abihu and 70 of the elders of Israel went up and they saw the God of Israel. Under his feet there was something like a pavement of sapphire stone, like the very heaven for clearness. That's a pretty big deal. There aren't many occasions in the Old Testament where God gives people a glimpse of his glory in this way. And later on in Exodus 33, we're told that no one gets to see God's face. He says, no one shall see me and live. Sometimes prophets are given a vision of God. You could take a look at Isaiah chapter 6 or Ezekiel chapter 1. But their descriptions of what they saw are always full of qualifying language. This was the appearance of the likeness of the glory of the Lord. They don't see his glory fully, and they certainly don't have the language to describe what they saw adequately. And here it seems like what the elders actually saw was the pavement underneath God's feet. And later in chapter 33, Moses sees God's back as he passes by, but not his face. But what about us today? Listen to what John says. And the word became flesh and lived among us. And we have seen his glory, the glory as of a father's only son, full of grace and truth. John testified to him and cried out, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks ahead of me, because he was before me. From his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. The law was indeed given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God. It is God, the only Son, who is close to the Father's heart, who has made him known. No one has ever seen God. That's exactly what we're told in Exodus. No one can see God. And yet, Jesus, who is God, came down and made him known. Just like we saw at the start of Hebrews. Long ago, God spoke to our ancestors in many and various ways by the prophets. But in these last days, he's spoken to us by a son. One who is the reflection of God's glory and the exact imprint of God's very being. He came and made his dwelling among us. He pitched his tent in our midst. As the message puts it, he became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. And we have seen his glory. What an immense privilege. We can see God because Jesus has made him known. Once again, it's his initiative. He comes down and reveals himself. And what does he look like? To Moses in Exodus 33, he looks like goodness and grace and mercy. That's how he defines himself. And John tells us that Jesus, who makes God known, is full of grace and truth. God is good. In Genesis 1, he looks at his creation and says that it is good. 
And now we, as part of his creation, look back at the creator and declare that he is good. But amazingly, we don't just get to see this good God. We get to fellowship with him. Up on the mountain, Moses and the elders eat and drink. They feast on this mountain in the presence of God after the covenant has been sealed. Last semester, we spent a few Sunday evenings up at the Vineyard Center thinking about the significance of shared meals in Jesus' ministry. His meal spoke of community, life shared together, a welcome extended to everyone, especially the outcasts, and the transformative salvation that God invites us into. His meals are a foretaste of the great feast that awaits us at Mount Zion, at the full and total coming of God's kingdom. But even here at Sinai, we see the first hints of that. A meal eaten in God's presence. Fellowship. God expressing his desire to be present with his people, making a way through the tabernacle for him to dwell among them. The words that Moses spoke over the Israelites in Exodus 24. See the blood of the covenant that the Lord has made with you in accordance with all these words are echoed by Jesus at the Last Supper. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. And after the covenant has been sealed with the blood in Exodus, the elders at Sinai saw the pavement under God's feet, and they ate and drank in his presence. But we are participants of the new covenant, sealed with Jesus' blood. We see God's glory revealed, made known in Jesus. And one day we'll feast with him. So being people of God's presence means seeing God. It means having fellowship with him, but not just with him. It means fellowship with one another. God has always intended his people to live in community. Remember back to Genesis. It's not good for man to be alone. Community is his idea. Richard Foster describes it like this. The aim of God in history is the creation of an all-inclusive community of loving persons with God himself at the very center of this community, as its prime sustainer and most glorious inhabitant. Yes, Moses goes right up into God's presence by himself, but then he comes right back down again to relay what God has said to the rest of the people. And if you remember back to last Sunday, we saw that most of those words, most of the Book of the Covenant, relates to right relationships with other people. That's a central aspect of holiness. Do you remember Jason's talk on Hebrews 12? There's only one way up the mountain. We go as sons and we go together. Like it or not, following Jesus is not a solitary pursuit. And being people of God's presence is not something we do by ourselves. It means having fellowship with God and with one another. Thirdly, holiness. God is a holy God. And we as his people are to be holy also. Paul writes later in Second Corinthians, what fellowship is there between light and darkness? We are the temple of the living God. As God said, I will live in them and walk among them. And I will be their God and they shall be my people. Therefore come out from them, be separate from them, says the Lord, and touch nothing unclean. Then I will welcome you and I will be your father And you shall be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. Since we have these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from every defilement of body and of spirit, making holiness perfect in the fear of God. God can't dwell in places that are impure or defiled. 
but he so desires to be with his people that he made a way first through the sacrificial system of the old covenant and then through Jesus' death and resurrection for us to be purified so that he can be with us. But like Paul says, since we have this promise that God will be our God and we his people, that he will dwell with us, let us also strive for holiness. And if you want to know more of what that looks like, listen to the podcast from last week. Now let's move on. We've seen that being people of God's presence means seeing God, means fellowship with God and with each other, and it means holiness. What next? Exodus 24 ends with Moses still up on the mountain, about to receive the instructions for the tabernacle. But the story doesn't end there. After that, he goes back down the mountain. He, and in fact all the elders, have had this incredible mountaintop experience. They've shared a meal in the presence of God. Moses has spoken with him for 40 days and 40 nights. But it's so important that they don't just stay on the mountain. The whole purpose of Moses being called up is to receive instructions for the tabernacle to take back down so that there'll be a dwelling place for God among all the people. Moses is called up onto the mountain into God's presence to go down and make a place for God to be present there. We all love those mountaintop experiences. But we're not called to live there, at least not yet. Being people of God's presence means going back down the mountain, back into the hard places, the mess and the hurt and the brokenness of our world and making a place for God to dwell there or being his dwelling place there. Oswald Chambers puts it like this. It is a great thing to be on the mount with God. But a man only gets there in order that afterwards he may get down among the devil-possessed and lift them up. And we come back again to the ministry of reconciliation that God is engaged in and that we're called to join him in. We're his ambassadors, representatives of his kingdom in a foreign land where he chooses to use us to bring many others to be citizens of his kingdom. And we need the mountaintop experiences, the special set-apart times. But we also need to go back down the mountain, taking his presence with us into the ordinary realities of everyday life. And it's crucial that we go in awareness of his presence with us and in dependence on him. And we're drawing to a close now, I promise. But one last thing. Being people of God's presence means recognizing our continual need for God's presence with us. Let's jump forward to Exodus 33, and we'll read from verse 12. Moses said to the Lord, See, you have said to me, Bring up this people, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. Yet you have said, I know you by name, and you have also found favor in my sight. Now if I have found favor in your sight, show me your ways, so that I may know you and find favor in your sight. Consider, too, that this nation is your people. God said, my presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. Moses said to him, if your presence will not go, do not carry us up from here. For how shall it be known that I have found favor in your sight, I and your people, unless you go with us? In this way we shall be distinct, I and your people, from every people on the face of the earth. And the Lord said to Moses, I will do the very thing that you have asked. For you have found favor in my sight, and I know you by name. It's getting to be time for the Israelites to leave Sinai 
and journey on towards the promised land. And Moses wants to make absolutely sure that God's presence is going to go with them. Not just with him individually. Verse 14 literally says, My presence will go with and I will give you singular rest. Moses isn't content with that. He knows that all the people need God's presence to go with them. That's what makes them distinctive. God's presence is what sets them apart and makes them unique. And it's the same for us. Remember what Jesus says in John 15. I am the vine, you are the branches. Those who abide in me and I in them bear much fruit, because apart from me, you can do nothing. Being people of God's presence means acknowledging our dependence, that we need his presence to go with us, that apart from him, we can do nothing. Three weeks ago, Toby talked about two aspects of being God's ambassadors, the passive side and the active side. The passive side, he put like this. If we're in Christ, if we're practicing the presence of God, then we simply can't help being his aroma, his light, his obvious dwelling place in the earth. But the one action I think that requires from us is an awareness of our need for God's presence and our dependence on him. He's the treasure, the light. We're simply the earthen vessels. Moses understood that. He knew Israel needed God's presence to go with him, and he himself longed to see God's glory. Tozer describes it like this. Come near to the holy men and women of the past, and you will soon feel the heat of their desire after God. They mourned for him. They prayed and wrestled and sought for him day and night, in season and out. And when they found him, the finding was all the sweeter for the long-seeking. Moses used the fact that he knew God as an argument for knowing him better. Now therefore I pray, if I have found grace in your sight, show me your way, that I may know you, that I might find grace in your sight. And from there he rose to make the daring request, I beseech you, show me your glory. God was frankly pleased by this display of ardor, and the next day called Moses into the mount. And there in solemn procession made all his glory pass before him. Do we long like that to see God's glory, to know his presence continually with us? I think the, um, the prayer that Tozer includes at the end of that chapter is a beautiful request to know God more. God, I have tasted thy goodness, and it has both satisfied me and made me thirsty for more. I am painfully conscious of my need for further grace. I'm ashamed of my lack of desire. O oh God, the triune God, I want to want thee. I long to be filled with longing. I thirst to be made more thirsty still. Show me thy glory, I pray thee, so that I may know thee indeed. Begin in mercy a new work of love within me. Say to my soul, rise up, my love, my fair one, and come away. Then give me grace to rise and follow thee up from this misty lowland where I have wandered so long. I think as we seek to be of, people of God's presence, there's two dangers, and they kind of come at opposite ends of the spectrum. At one end, we can easily be tempted to stay up on the mountain where it's cozy and comfortable rather than making our way down into the mess and brokenness of the world taking God's presence with us. At the other end, sometimes we get so focused on our plans to clean up that mess 
and fix that brokenness that we forget how much we need God's presence. And our desire for him is dulled by our busy acts of service. As is so often the case, we're called to keep our balance in that radical middle. Knowing our need for God, longing to see his glory, and yet still going out, taking his presence with us into the world. And isn't it great that God knows we need community to help us keep that balance? We're going to take some time to pray for one another now. And I just, I just had this sense this morning like that God is so, he is so pleased with this church. He knows that we want him and that when we come and worship him, it's genuine and that we love him and we want to know him more. And he knows that we're seeking to turn our focus outwards and to engage in that ministry of reconciliation to help people make connections with him. And I know that his heart is always to bless us. But I just feel like, especially this morning, um, there's a lot of that waiting. So if there's anything at all that you need or want, if you just want more of his presence, um, then I really encourage you to come up here now. And we're just going to have some ministry time. And if you'd like to stand just now, I'll pray. Father God, I thank you that you are a God who so desires relationship. So desires to be present with your people that you take the initiative. And you go to such incredible lengths to make that possible. We love your presence. We long for more of it. We long to be people who see you, who fellowship with you, and then go out into the world in dependence on your presence. Would you come and meet with us again now as we minister to one another?